Catholic Family Podcast presents Lent Around the World Daily Traditional Catholic Meditations Read by our friends from across the globe The Passion and Death of Our Lord Jesus Christ by the Most Reverend Albin Goodyear Chapter 1 The Eve of the Passion Jesus went out of Jerusalem over the hill of Olivet with his twelve on that last Tuesday afternoon to rest with them once more in the comparative security of Bethania. The Pasch was at hand, there was much going to and fro in the streets and in the courts of the temple. Until the festival was over there would be little more to be done. On the summit of the hill, as they looked back over the city with the golden pinnacles of its temple glittering beneath the afternoon sun, Jesus had again pronounced its final doom. The day would come when of all Jerusalem there would not be left a stone upon a stone. He had gone much further. He had warned his companions of the end, not of Jerusalem only, but of all the world. It was true he had not been understood. He had not intended that he should be wholly understood. To this day his words are wrapped in mystery. But he had spoken with the authority of a judge, of a judge who knew all, who could neither deceive nor be deceived, and whose word, however little understood, was nevertheless infallibly true. Then in the evening he had moved along the road, down the hill towards the little town that he loved so well. No other town in all the land had ever given him so gracious a welcome as Bethania. We cannot wonder that he gave it in return both his greatest miracle and so much of his own company. As he went, he reminded his companions once again of yet another ending, of which they had often heard before. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days shall be the Pasch and the Son of Man shall be delivered to be crucified. You know. At least, if they did not know, it was not through lack of warning. Since the day when, close by Caesarea Philippi, Simon had confessed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, he had often had it in his mind and on his lips, and the nearer they had come to the eventual hour itself, the more explicit he had been. Recent success it had seemed to his followers to point the other way. The raising of Lazarus, which had so stirred the masters in Jerusalem, the friendship of the people of Bethania, so that a Pharisee had delighted to honor him, the triumphant procession of palms and the enthusiasm of the pilgrims camped upon the hill, which the elders and priests had feared to suppress, the victories of the last two days in the very court of the temple, so that not the subtlest scribe had dared to ask him further questions. The secure protection that was now regularly afforded by the mere presence of the people gathered round him. And seeking to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes, because they held him as a prophet. This had been the temper of the people only the day before, and nothing had occurred to alter it. Nevertheless, he himself had never wavered in his picture of the future, he had borne with the blindness of his twelve and with their false conceptions of the kingdom. The time would come when they would understand. For the present, he was content to leave them self-deceived. As for himself, 
there were two days before him in which to prepare for the great ordeal. And as he had always done on the eve of great occasions, so he would do now. Before he chose the twelve almost two years ago, he had spent the night in the prayer of God. Before he gave to the people of Capernaum the offer of his body and his blood, he had gone into the mountain to pray. Beyond the border of his own country, before he put Simon Peter to the test, he had been found once more by the twelve in prayer. Now, on the eve of the greatest day in all his life, we need have no doubt what his preparation would be. For these two days then we leave him, alone with his father on the mountainside, as we have often left him before. Though it would be easy to conjecture the prayer of the Lamb of God, as he looked forward now at last to the sacrifice immediately before him, we will not attempt to lift the veil which he himself had always kept carefully down. This only, we must say, he who during all the remaining hours till the very last moment was always careful that the scripture should be fulfilled in every detail, would now, in his hours of preparation, remind himself of all that those scriptures had foretold. One of them had said that he would be betrayed, and that by one of those dearest to him and most trusted, from the Psalms, for even the man of my peace, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, hath greatly supplanted me. Another had declared that the betrayal would be bought by thirty paltry coins. And Zechariah, and they who weighed for my wages thirty pieces of silver. The same prophet had foretold that he would be deserted by all his followers. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. He would be accused by false witnesses. From the Psalms, unjust witnesses have risen up against me, and iniquity hath lied to itself. Yet to all their accusations would he answer nothing. He was offered because it was his own will, and he opened not his mouth. He shall be led as a sheep to the slaughter, and shall be dumb as a lamb before his shearer, and he shall open not his mouth. From Isaiah. Men would strike him, would spit upon him, would treat him with every kind of insult. I have given my body to the strikers, in my cheeks to them that plucked them. I have turned not away my face from them that rebuked me and spit upon me. From Isaiah. He shall give his cheek to them that striketh him. He shall be filled with reproaches. All these things within the next few days men would do to him, and then they would nail him to a cross. They have dug my hands and feet. They have numbered all my bones. He would be crucified with criminals, as being himself one of them. He was reputed with the wicked. He would be held up to the scorn of all the world. I am a worm and no man, the reproach of men and the outcast of the people. All they that saw me have laughed me to scorn, they have spoken with the lips and wagged the head. He would be taunted with his very sonship of his father. He hoped in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him save him, seeing he delighted in him. In his dire thirst, as he died, they would give him gall and vinegar to drink. I have looked for one that would grieve together with me, but there was none, and for one that would comfort me, and I found none. And they gave me gall for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. They would strip him naked, they would share his clothes among them, casting lots for them. 
They have looked and stared upon me. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they cast lots. Yet in the midst of it all, he would raise his voice in prayer for his torturers. They have spoken against me with deceitful tongues. They have compassed me about with words of hatred. They have fought against me without cause instead of making me a return of love. They detracted me, but I gave myself to prayer, and they repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. He hath borne the sins of many and hath prayed for the transgressors. When he was dead, even then, he would not be left untouched. They would pierce his heart, for they should not break his bones. And at the last, from that pierced heart, should come the beginnings of repentance. I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of prayers, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for an only son, and they shall grieve over him as the manner is to grieve for the death of the firstborn. But perhaps most of all he would dwell upon that common prophecy which belongs to all his followers. The wise man had foreseen how the just in all time would suffer persecution, and more than once had Jesus warned them that so it would be. He was their leader. In him then it had already been and would yet be fulfilled more than in all the rest. From the Book of Wisdom Let us therefore lie in wait for the just, because he is not for our turn, and he is contrary to our doings, and upbraideth us with the transgressions of the law, and divulgeth against us the sins of our way of life. He boasteth that he hath the knowledge of God, and calleth himself the Son of God. He has become a censurer of our thoughts. He is grievous unto us even to behold. For his life is not like other men's, and his ways are very different. We are esteemed by him as triflers, and he abstaineth from our ways as from filthiness, and he preferreth the latter end of the just, and glorieth that he hath God for his Father. Let us see then if his words be true, and let us prove what shall happen to him, and we shall know what his end shall be. For if he be the true Son of God, he will defend him, and will deliver him from the hands of his enemies. Let us examine him by outrages and tortures, that we may know his meekness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a most shameful death, for there shall be respect had unto him by his words. Memories such as these could not have but crowded in upon him as he prepared himself to do his father's will to the letter in the day that was to follow. But it was all worthwhile. For the father's sake, for his own sake, for the sake of his beloved mankind, it was worthwhile. After all was over, as he had already told his own many times, he would rise again and would triumph. Death would have no final dominion over him. Had not the prophet said, My flesh shall rest in hope, because I wilt not leave my soul in hell, nor wilt thou give thy Holy One to see corruption. He would rise from the dead, he would return to his Father, and would sit again by his right hand in heaven. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Thence with the power of the Godhead that was his, with the right that his death had won, he would send the Holy Spirit into the world to finish the work he had begun. And it shall come to pass after this that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, 
Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Moreover, upon my servants and handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out waters upon the thirsty ground and streams upon the dry land. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thy stock. And they shall spring up among the herbs as willows behind the, beside the running waters. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand to the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. He would die, but he would triumph. He would be buried, but he would rise again. The lights of the nations, the life of all the world. Behold, I have given thee to be the light of the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation, even to the farthest part of the earth. I, the Lord, have called thee in justice, and taken thee by the hand, and preserved thee. And I have given thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, that thou mightest open the eyes of the blind, and bring forth the prisoner out of prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Yes, it was indeed worthwhile. It was for this that he had come into the world. For all eternity he would stand, the Lamb that was slain, before the Father, giving peace to all creation because of this surrender. Part 2. The Council of the Priests So Jesus prayed in his solitude, bringing the past to a focus in himself, looking forward into the future, rejoicing as a giant to run his course, straining for the baptism wherewith he must be baptized, that at last it might be accomplished. Meanwhile, within the city walls, his enemies were not idle. In their midst, but in secret, other preparations were being made beside those for the Paschal festival. Then were gathered together the chief priests and ancients of the people and the scribes into the court of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they consulted together how by some while they might lay hold on Jesus and put him to death. There was reason for their choice of this, their meeting place, and it was significant. The temple and its courts, seeing how they had been regularly worsted there during the last two days, they could scarcely any longer call their own. In the sight of the people, they had been put to shame. In the hearing of all, woe had been called down upon them, which could never be forgotten. All that week since the preceding Sabbath, he had routed them in their own domain. Before their own followers, he had made them appear worthy only of contempt, and they had not dared to touch him. He had gone away free this Tuesday afternoon, as he had gone away freely on the Monday and the Sunday preceding. Who knew, but that on Wednesday and Thursday and every day he would come up again into the temple and do as he had done before. To argue with him, to try to catch him in his speech, to ask him subtle questions, all these were now of no avail. On this at least they had decided. They dared not confront him any more. No good purpose, so they told themselves, would be served by so much as meeting him again, unless it were once and for all, and without more ado to make him a prisoner and crush him. For the present they must needs foregather, where they would be free from interruption and insult. Hence they met in the house of Caiaphas, in the lower city below the temple wall. Under the guidance of Caiaphas, they could become confirmed 
in their design and renew their courage. Caiaphas was the official high priest, the ordained of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Whoever this Jesus might pretend to be, that could not be denied. Therefore, with Caiaphas at their head, they could claim and could assure themselves that they acted with the divine authority of the law. Caiaphas, too, had already proved to them on a former occasion the eminent justice of their cause that disposed of any qualm of conscience these sensitive rabbis might have concerning ways and means. You know nothing, neither do you consider that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation perish not. What those means were to be, they were at a loss to know, and here for the moment, even the resourceful Caiaphas could not help them. They had decided on the death of Jesus long ago, even so early as when he had first appeared among them. Yet till now, he had defied them at every turn. They had approved of his being stoned to death, and the sentence had not been carried out. They had published an order for his capture, yet no one had succeeded in laying hands on him. They had sent their police expressly to apprehend him, and they had come back empty-handed. Nay, some of them had been won to his side by his words. The fact that, in spite of all they had done, he could still come into the city and go out as he pleased had made many of the people wonder. Some had even begun to ask whether they, the priests and the ancients, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, were at last being convinced and were going over to him. Some, therefore, of Jerusalem said, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? And behold, he speaketh openly, and they say nothing to him. Have the rulers known for a truth that this is the Christ? But to dwell on these failures little became their dignity. Far more becoming was it to ignore them, to assume that in time, indeed when they had finally decided on the day and the hour, they would get their heart's desire. They might take him at any time, of course they might on the morrow if they chose, but clearly, for the sake of decency and public order, Thursday would not do. They must be cautious, they must, they used a better sounding word, they must be prudent, since it had been finally decided that he must die, and that for the sake of the public safety, then any means by which he might be taken would be justified. Still, they must not be too hasty or cause undue disturbance, especially at such a holy season as this. The Pasch would be in two days, so to arrange it that he should be taken on or before the feast day would be unseemly. It would violate the Pasch, it would defile themselves, so they said. But in their hearts they were governed by a much more convincing argument. But they said, not on the festival day, lest perhaps there should be a tumult among the people, for they feared the people. If we would preserve a right perspective of the Passion, it is surely important to keep this last sentence in mind. From the very beginning, from the days of John the Baptist, the menace of the people of Judea, if not always of Jerusalem, had continuously hung over the priests and elders, the Pharisees and scribes, and had made them fear to do more than affect a withering but futile contempt. They had pretended to despise the ignorant mob. This multitude that knoweth not the law are accursed. Nonetheless, it was the fear of the multitude that had paralyzed them at every turn. From the first days beside the Jordan, there had been many who had hailed this liberator from a thraldom that could no longer be endured. The men who had listened to John when he cried, Ye brood of vipers, who hath showed thee to flee from the wrath to come? 
These men that had listened to John had welcomed no less the denunciation which none but Jesus had dared to utter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who build heavy and unsupportable burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, and with the finger of your own will not lift them, who shut the kingdom of heaven against men and devour the houses of widows, praying long prayers, who tithe mint and anise and cumin and have left the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and faith, who clean the outside of the cup, but within are full of rapine and uncleanness. As the months had gone on, the danger had only increased. There had been undoubtedly miracles here in Jerusalem, if fewer than in Galilee, yet in many ways more striking and certainly more noticed. For instance, there had been the healing of the cripple at the probiotic pool in the north of the city. It had given rise to the first great controversy in the temple court. There had been the healing of the man born blind in the south, here almost at their very door. They had examined both of these cases. It would have been wiser had they left them alone. Many of the people had been won by them. They had said in answer to those who would keep them from believing, These are not the works of one that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Many had gone further still. They had accepted this Jesus with or with or without miracles on the authority of that strange man, John the Baptist. And many resorted to him, and they said, John indeed did no sign, but all things whatsoever John said of this man were true, and many believed in him. Here now, on the eve of the Passion, it is impossible to fail to recognize within the holy city itself a large and strong force inclined in his favor, to which the whole episode was a matter of grief and indignation. Once beyond Galilee, more than five thousand men had risen to proclaim him their king. If Jesus had wished it, he could have raised a like force in Judea to save himself from death. They were no empty words which he had used later in the presence of the governor of the province. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would certainly strive that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. <laughs>